When a young child sustains minor head trauma, guidelines vary and there's no clear consensus regarding radiologic examination to attempt to detect the presence of skull fracture. Most cases of head trauma are minor, but some of these so-called minor cases can be associated with life-threatening complications, especially if a fracture goes undetected. I'm Dr. Ken Vlegel, Senior Editor for CMAJ, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Jocelyn Gravel, Pediatric Emergency Physician and a Research Director at Saint-Justine Hospital in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. In their CMAJ research article concerning a decision rule for head trauma in young children, Dr. Gravel and colleagues performed a prospective cohort study in an effort to provide guidance for radiologic evaluation of young children who have sustained head trauma. Dr. Gravel, the first question I'd like to ask you is for the benefit of the non-pediatrician, how on earth does a child younger than two months sustain head trauma? Well, this is very, very common. Every shift that a pediatric emergency physician works, he sees at least one and sometimes three or four patients that fell from the table, from the changing table, from the bed. A very young kid, younger than two years, and especially younger than one year old, that uh, fall from their chair is very common. Happily, most of them, they have just a small bruise or nothing. But uh, there is a small proportion who have more important complication. And this is what we wanted to do with, with our study. And when we have an adult with a skull fracture, we usually make note of it and keep an eye on them. But that's about it. Why is it important to identify skull fracture in a young infant? Well, there are two main reasons. The first reason is skull fracture is associated with a traumatic or a clinically important traumatic brain injury. So... If you have a skull fracture and you're a small kid, most of the time you won't have nothing and it's not bad. But the odds ratio of having clinically important brain injury is about 12. So this is the most important predictor of a clinically important traumatic injury. So that's why if you find a skull fracture in a small kid, you better keep an eye on that kid for 12 to 24 hours or do a CT scan depending on what setting you are. This is the first reason. And the other reason is there's something called growing fracture that occurs in uh, in very small kids because the, the the small kids they have their sutures so when the brain grows the skull grows but if they have a fracture this fracture could could continue to expand and there there could be an herniation of the brain through that uh, fracture and the fracture won't heal so this is something we see in very young children younger than one and or younger than two years old because they are small and their brain is growing fast. When you're an adult and you have a skull fracture, well, your brain is not supposed to grow, so the fracture will heal easily. And the reason why it's important to identify those patients is if you find a skull fracture that is uh, very wide and is prone for a growing fracture, if you find it very early in the first week, the neurosurgeon will do a small suture on the dura mater and we'll, we'll make sure that there won't be any growing fracture. But if you missed it and there's a herniation of brain, then there's very high risk of complication like seizure and mental retardation. So if you don't find it, you will have a very big problem. And if you find it, there's something that is, is easy to do for a neurosurgeon to prevent it. Only 2% of the fracture could have a growing fracture. So it's very uncommon. And if you take a 1,000 kids, 
there should be about 50 fractures, a thousand kids younger than two years old who falls. Among those 50 fractures, with 2% of growing fracture, there will be one with growing fracture. So out of 1,000 kids, if you don't do an x-ray to nobody, well, you're probably right 99.9% .9 of the time. But the one you missed, if you miss it, the patient will have seizure, mental retardation, a very bad outcome. So once you miss one, then you'll do the x-ray for all the other patients because you don't want to miss any of these. So that's why we decided to do the, our clinical decision rule. And why did you decide to approach the problem in this way? The idea came four years ago when we went to a conference at uh, the Quebec Emergency Physician Conference. There was one guy who was presenting their guidelines at the Montreal Children's Hospital. And basically what he was saying was that they were doing x-rays for almost all kids younger than one year old with a head trauma. And one week later, there was the conference of the emergency physician, but the specialist in emergency medicine in Quebec again. And there was another guy from another city who was presenting exactly the contrary, saying that you don't need to do x-rays because we don't do much for those patients. So in one week, there were two specialists who were presenting exactly the opposite. So this is when we, we said, well, probably if two specialists pr present exactly the opposite, it's probably because there is no clear answer about this question. So this is when we decided to do the, the study and uh, to derive a rule to say, well, which kid would need an X-ray? And the best outcome would be not only the fracture, but the fracture who will have a bad outcome. So those with growing fracture or those with traumatic brain injury that needs something. But it's so uncommon to do that kind of study. We would need something like 50,000 patients so what we decided to, to do is we said, well, we'll do a study to identify all skull fracture. And every time you derive a rule, it's never 100% sensitive. There's always confidence interval. So we say if we have a rule that is very sensitive for all fracture, there is very high chance that it is more sensitive to clinically important skull fracture. And who did you study? How did you accumulate your study population? Well, we did the study in three settings, uh, St. Justine Hospital in Montreal, Montreal Children's Hospital, and Sherbrooke University Hospital. And we recruited all children younger than two years old who came for a head trauma in the past 24 hours. So because there is a bias, if you also, also take those who came for a trauma that was longer than 24 hours, probably they are sicker. That's why they consult. Otherwise, they wouldn't come. And we excluded all the children who already needed a CT scan because they had moderate or severe traumatic brain injury. Because we said, well, if they already need a CT scan because they are unconscious, we don't need to discuss do they need an x-ray or not. So we excluded those who needed a CT scan for moderate or severe traumatic brain injury, mild traumatic brain injury who needed a CT scan according to uh, the rules that are already used for brain injury. So in our setting, we use the, a rule called the Picarn rule, who says that you're at high risk of traumatic brain injury if you have a moderate or severe TBI, or if you have a mild TBI, but a Glasgow of 14, or deformity, a very important deformity on your skull. We also exclude patients who were transferred to our setting with their x-rays already done, showing that they had a fracture because we said that the person who was filling the chart uh, uh, review form, chart report form, if they already knew that the kids 
would have a fracture before they do it, they would be they could be biased. So basically, younger than two years old, head trauma, no need for CT scan on the Picard rule. And for the babies in your study, how were the skull fractures detected? So ideally, we'd do an X-ray, but it was not ethically feasible to do an X-ray on all kids. So we decided to let the physician do whatever they want. In our setting, the proportion of X-ray is about forty percent. So we said, "You do what you want. We want. Uh, we would like you to make sure that you don't never miss fracture. So if you have any doubt." do probably more x-rays than you would do in the real life. And all the kids who didn't have an x-ray, they were called one month later by a research assistant to see if they had any bad outcome, if they needed to see a physician again, if they had any x-rays. So it's not the perfect gold standard as having everybody who would have a a skull x-ray, but we wanted to make sure that if at one month they don't have a growing fracture. Usually it would be detected after one month, probably because they healed well and we didn't care that much if we missed a fracture or two because of that. And of all the patients that we called, nobody had any complication. How did you go about deriving your decision rule? First of all, we had 28 criteria uh, that were defined by a systematic review of the literature and the opinion of experts. And of those 28 criteria, we first we said, well, we, we will take those who have a good inter-reader agreement. So for a, a convenient sample of patient, there was a second physician who was evaluating the child, filling the same CRF, and we measured the inter-reader agreement. And we decided that those who had uh, an agreement with a CAPA score higher than 0.6 would be amenable to the decision rule. So we excluded a few criteria based on this uh, item, and then we used recursive partitioning to identify skull fracture. And what did you find? So what we found in the derivation phase, we had 111 child. Among them, we had 49 fractures. And the two criteria were very strong predictors of fracture. The first criteria was the the presence of a a bump or a swelling or hematoma on the skull, on the parietal or occipital bone. Did the size of the swelling or the hematoma matter? It didn't change much. So any bump, any size on the parietal occipital hematoma, uh, positive predictive value of that is uh, 40%. So out of the, we had 49 fracture, 38 were identified just with this uh, criteria and only 94 patients at that criteria out of the 800 patients. So it was very good criteria. And then the second criteria was the age. Children age zero to one month. And when I say one month, I mean 59 days was the second criteria. So using both of these criteria, we identified 46 out of the 49 fracture. So this provided a sensitivity of 94% and a specificity of 86% with a predictive value of 31% and a negative predictive value of almost 100% because there were only three fractures out of 600 kids who were negative for the rule. You said one month and 59 days. I think you mean two months. Younger than two months. Yes, one month old. Okay, I see what you mean. So this is how you arrived at the criteria for the derivation set. Mm -hmm. And then you went and did a second phase. The plan was to recruit 
until we had 50 fractures and then to continue recruitment for the validation phase. So we stopped the recruitment at the derivation phase. We took those uh, those patients and we derived the rule and we continued the recruitment in all the settings to validate those criteria. I said we had 49 fractures because we thought we had 50, but when we reviewed the, the x-rays, one was finally uh, defined as not fractured. So that's why we had 49 fractures. And in the validation, what we said, we, we applied the same criteria to our validation set. So in our validation phase, we had 856 patients. Among them, 44 had a fracture. The sensitivity of the rule in this group was 89% because it identified 41 patients with a fracture. The specificity was quite high, 87%, so quite similar with the derivation and a positive predictive value, 26%, negative predictive value, 99%. So we missed only three fracture in the validation phase uh, using that rule. We think it's a good rule. In the validation phase, there were four fractures that were missed. I said three, but it were four. And of these four fractures, three uh, were for children aged two or three months old. So we said, now we're going to try to validate that rule in multiple primary care settings in Quebec. That's our plan in the long term. But we'll try to see if we increase our age range to three months. Does it change much on the sensitivity and specificity? But this is the next phase of our research program. In your opinion, is this rule ready for general use by pediatric urgentologue? I think it's uh, very easy to use. It's very uh, user-friendly. I think uh, we validate it. On a, it's only 44 fracture, but it's 800 uh, patient. I think it's it's amenable to uh, to general pediatrician or even emergency physician or even physician that are in our in their office and they see kids. I think they can use it. It was studied in our setting, which is a tertiary care pediatric emergency medicine setting. But there were more than forty physicians in our setting that uh, used the the rule in the derivation and validation phase, and it was the same at the children and at, at Sherbrooke. So there, there was about uh, 80 different physicians who used the rule, and we didn't see any problem. And the inter-rater agreement was uh, almost uh, perfect. Uh, final question. I'm wondering about applying this rule in the third world where resources are really scarce. Could you comment on generalizing your work to uh, non-North American child populations? Well, I think it could be used anywhere. Of course, in the in settings where they have less uh, technology that we have, this uh, study will probably be more helpful because if they have to transfer patient for a long distance to do an X-ray, it's important for them to uh, decrease these numbers of X-rays, and it's a bit the same in our settings. The rule for tertiary care emergency physician, well, the rule is useful, but doesn't change that much because we have access to x-rays and most of parents, they won't complain if we do x-ray. There are fees, there is a little bit of radiation, but it's not that bad to do an x-ray. So we could do x-ray to all the patients, but it would be a, a not a good way of using resources. But for primary care physician in their office where they don't have an x-ray, and if they'd have to send the patient to the emergency room or a radiology facility, it can be uh, very time-consuming. So using the rule in the offices 
or place where, where they don't have x-ray, this is the place where the rule could be the most useful because it could identify those who really need an x-ray and those who can wait and be sent home safely. Dr. Gravel, thank you. You're welcome. I've been speaking with Dr. Jocelyn Gravel, Pediatric Emergency Physician and Research Director at St. Justine Hospital in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. To read the research article he co-authored, visit our website at cmaj.ca.